Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today I'm joined by Sue Rosen. Sue is based out in Sydney. Sue, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Susan. It's lovely to be here. Well, Sue, to start us off, I'm going to ask you what you wanted to be when you grew up. (laughs) So, Susan, I think (laughs) it's a question that I sometimes pose to clients because sometimes it helps us get in touch with the things that excited us or, and you know, that lit yeah. us up when we were kids. And of course, I find it staggering because it's not me. When I talk to clients who said, well, I've known I wanted to be an accountant since I was 14 years old. But really? That, but that is, I, I have spoken to people who say that, Susan, yes. Wow. But it wasn't me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think I wanted to be many other things. I had a phase where I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted for a long time to be a dancer. I wanted yeah. to be an actor. I, I still have a, a great love and passion for performing arts. And so I am actually now a non-exec director with one of the theater companies in Sydney, mm. Belvoir Street Theater, which I love being involved with. So I've started to pull different strands of the doctor or the dancer or the actor and things into my life. And that is sometimes why I challenge people with that question to say, what are the elements of that? And while I was a, an accountant and then a financial controller and a CFO, they maybe weren't so apparent, but I think the, the doctor piece was very much about having something that's intellectually stimulating, which, you know, finance definitely yeah. is. And also there's an element of helping people which certainly for me came into as I realized that the people I worked with were so much more important to me than the numbers. And also, of course, as, as a coach now, I see that as, you know, what I am doing is I want to empower people and inspire people and support them to be the best that they can be in, in whatever field that is. So I feel that there's a whole link there. And then of course there, well, the, the theatre and the dance and things has fed into my non-exec directorship, but it also feeds into the fact that I actually do love to speak as well. So I do now do some public speaking, which is mostly really with finance audiences and it's on the topics of uh, purpose at work. It's on the topics of authentic leadership and, and those kinds of topics because I love to get the energy moving in a room. So, yeah, so it's all of those elements together that have all over the years have come back. <laughs> but there was a while there, I certainly 
didn't expect to end up in accounting. And yeah, yeah, I would it absolutely fell into it. Tell us. <laughs> so, so I was brought up in the UK, and I did uh, a degree in Leeds, which was mm -hmm. a combination of uh, accounting and German. And the reason I did that was I had loved languages at school, and I really knew I wanted to travel. They were two things that were always in the picture for my future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, learning languages, I didn't want to study literature particularly, and I didn't want to be a teacher. And so I started looking for business and language courses, which was because I thought, well, actually, maybe if I go into some form of business, you know, that will give me an opportunity to travel with whatever business role. And the course I ended up on was in Leeds, was much more of an accounting and German. And so spent a year in uh, Northern Germany as part of that degree. And I did have a role at one point where I was the controller for the German operation, as well as the overall European controller out of the UK as well. So, okay, cool. so I, did oh. manage, I did manage to combine some of those things, but all of the plans, even when I did my degree, I didn't necessarily think I would become an accountant. <laughs> I did think though accounting was a really great, and I still believe this very strongly, it's a really great entree into the world of business and a really great way to understand business and business strategy and what makes businesses tick. So when I, it was, was giving away my age a bit, but I joined Coopers. So I joined Coopers and Librand oh. so before it was PwC. And yeah. Uh, and, that, and that was what I saw as doing the training there and becoming a CA was going to be my intro to the business world. And, and of course it was. Yeah. Then after yeah. I'd done that, I took a year out to come traveling and I ended up in Australia and I decided I loved the lifestyle here. So I came back at the end of my visa and went, now I'm, I'm going back to the sunshine. And that's, so that's how I then came to be in Australia. And then once I was settled in Sydney, I had a number of different finance roles. Uh, and some okay. actually in the entertainment space because I was really pursuing that at that point to work yeah. in the theatre space, but in finance. And then okay. went out through private companies, public went through a public listing, um, ultimately then moved into financial services and spent the last few years of really my kind of CFO life uh, with a private equity funds manager. Mm. Then a number of years ago now, decided... To, to take a turn into something different, which is when I started uh, training as an executive coach. So that brings me to where I'm now. And was there a defining moment, Sue, that you woke up one morning and said, I want to do something different? Was it a process? How did you get there? It had actually been quite a long time coming. Over the years, I would be happy in a new role for a short time, the challenge of being somewhere new, excitement of learning. And then I would go, oh, this is, this is not really working for me. I'm not getting the, the enjoyment or fulfillment out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always mm -hmm. felt I had something more to give, something more to contribute, but I couldn't really put my finger on what that was. Mm. So I would have conversations, casual conversations, you know, around the place about what else to do. I thought about recruiting briefly I thought about training briefly but it's also really hard sometimes when you've been in a career you know already for quite a few years by this point 
that you've invested so much of your time and your money and your energy in this qualification. And I think, looking back, I think I was very narrow-minded. I think I oh, yeah? didn't really have my eyes really open to opportunities outside the finance team. And I uh, see other people now, and I think what could have been really good for me was to actually take a sideways move within an organization into a different area of the business. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I see that, I see people do that more and more often these days. And I think mm-hmm. that is a really great way to broaden your skills. And mm. I didn't have any kind of career strategy. And again, <laughs> as, as probably you do with your clients now, I often talk to them about, well, where do you want to be? Yeah. I never wanted to be so narrowly one direction. So I, I didn't, I avoided that kind of question. I think also I knew I didn't want to stay in finance. I knew that, but I just didn't know what the other options were. So eventually I sought out a career coach. I went, you know, I have to change something. I was getting increasingly unhappy. And, okay. and the defining moment in terms of actually making a change was that I had young daughters mm-hmm. and I would, like parents do, tell them, oh, you can be anything, you can do anything, all of those things. <laughs> I realized <laughs> what a lot of bullshit <laughs> I was talking. <laughs> because, you know, why should they trust what I said? I was miserable. And so that was really what got me. It's interesting how at, you know, 35, you could think that it was too late to change career because you'd invested, you know, 15 years of your self and your career into one thing and then at 40 or in my 40s I could go oh actually I have a lot of career still ahead of me do I want to spend it like this Uh if I saw myself in this kind of role or even in my boss's role you know if, if, if a bigger CFO role how would I feel and I went oh I would rather stick pins in my eyes so for me, it was forks, but yeah, I get you. <laughs> you get the gist. It's just like something's got to change. You, and, and sometimes it takes us a long time. Sometimes I think I'm a slow learner. and It took me a long time to realize that you can't keep doing the same thing and expect to get a different result. So you have to call it. Sometimes other people yeah. need to call you out on it. Or yeah. sometimes you need to say, yeah. I need to invest time, energy, money in something new it's not just going to happen magically Mm. Mm. without me doing something so that's how I came to be in coaching and then looking at things and going actually I love having these deeper conversations and also I can see how it's challenging me to actually do something differently so I started putting my toe in the water in terms of courses and education and accepting that it wasn't going to be an overnight fix. Mm. That's the other mm. thing. Accepting mm. that this was the start of a new journey. I wasn't just going to walk out of a CFO role into something completely different. It was mm. going to take time and I was going to have to create something different that is what I wanted. Yeah. Create is, is that's a great word. I think what was interesting, you said, you know, there's a pattern when you looked back of taking on a new role and hoping it would be the one in inverted commas but but then after a couple of months realizing actually no I'm not really happy here again and so you found I actually have to go and create this for myself Mm. I think that's so important isn't it too too often we 
we just we think it's just going to happen or yeah. that we have to accept what is already there rather than crafting and creating what it is we want because mm. even with many clients that want to stay in a finance role or a cfo role how can you craft the role so that it works for you and it suits your strengths that may be different to your predecessor mm. and build a team around you that have complementary strengths so that you create what you want to create Mm. Uh, and that mm. goes for your career and it also goes more broadly for your life as well yeah definitely and what was the biggest insight then perhaps for you during coaching what did you go oh I wish I'd known that maybe 20 years ago <laughs> or this is actually going to help shape my life now going forward oh good question I don't know that there was one thing during that coaching but I think you touched on it before when you said that looking back, I could see those patterns. And one of the things that came up very strongly for me that I realized I had been neglecting, I suppose, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. the fact that I do love learning. Mm -hmm. And I had thought at lots of times over the years of going back to uni or doing a postgrad. And I was always holding myself back from doing that because I was concerned about what would the benefits of that particular course or project or degree be. What, you know, it's like really I was doing a bit of cost benefit analysis on my own learning. And what I realize now is that sometimes it's better to just jump in and do something that really interests you and engages you and you're not sure at that point quite where it's going to lead and I've, actually I've been writing about this recently because I think it's very true during this pandemic is that sometimes we need to step into the unknown rather than always waiting to know what it is we're stepping into and to do yeah. that to do that we need to let go of some stuff and that might be our need for that validation of the status of the title. Uh, it might be the, the financial rewards. Now, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. I, I couldn't let go of all my financial rewards immediately. But there is a piece about how can you make that work and stepping into the unknown, letting go of something that's been holding you back and that was one of the things that was apparent to me that I actually just wasn't giving myself the freedom to try new things. My head was full of the shoulds. I should do this. Yeah. I should yeah. have a career that looks like this. I should work these kind of hours. I should um, do this for my family. Oh, also as a working mother, uh, I should be the one who looks after everybody and everything. And all those pressures we put on ourselves. I mean, some of them come from other people, but we've absorbed them all. Oh, <laughs> you want a really defining moment that was actually on a yoga retreat. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. This was not actually in a yoga class, but with a therapist who was there. So she was asking me what my gut instinct was about something. And I was asked, talking in the realm of what am I going to do with my career? Yeah. What does your gut instinct tell you? 
And I said, mm, nothing. I, ha- I had so lost touch with what I wanted that I had to do, you know, quite a lot of my own soul searching. Yeah. And that's, so that was also brought me to doing more yoga, more meditation, more of those holistic um, yeah, connecting, connecting with, with myself and realizing yeah. I hadn't done that and reflection. So, mm. you know, mm. it's one thing I'm always urging people to actually create the time and space for reflection because when we are so busy on some little hamster wheel, we, we lose track of what's really important to us and we lose track of where our energy would be best spent well, where we're going to create our energy and how we're going to use it it's a bit like what you said the shoulds we get caught up in the shoulds and at work you'll have so many different demands from so many different places and actually sometimes carving out that time to think is the best way forward yeah it's the seeing the wood for the trees isn't it sometimes yeah we've got everything bombarding us and we need to step back and create that yeah. space for reflection to actually big picture thinking. We know, what, yeah. what are we here to do? And yeah. We need yeah. that at an organizational level as well as at an individual level. So it's very easy as an organization to get distracted by new products, new projects or different things that are going on. And sometimes we just need to come back to the central question of why we're here at all. Yeah, and then it's, it's, it's understanding who we are at the core mm. also, Sue. Like, our, what are our values that, that we won't compromise? Yeah. And that's something that maybe we don't always understand until they're challenged. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and yeah. sometimes I think if we are really busy and we're really just on the treadmill with the blinkers on, we actually don't even see that they're being challenged Mm. until they've been pushed so far that either we individually are potentially in a burnout kind of situation because we physically and mentally and emotionally have been pushed so far or that we've um, just been going along with this is the way things are Mm. for so long that we if we stop and think we realize that if we had a boundary here that we've been pushed way past it and we didn't notice it happen. Mm. So Mm. I think it's really important to um, start thinking about our personal values and being able to articulate them as well and being able to articulate what it looks like to be successful at living those values and move away from, you know, a picture of success being all about the extrinsic rewards of you know, money and status. And I always say to people, of course, it's great to have a beautiful home and be able to do things that you want to do and go on holidays or whatever. I love all those things too. But you've also got to weigh that up at at what cost. Mm -hmm. And if it's Mm -hmm. at the cost of your health or your family or that greater sense of uh, who you are at the core, then perhaps it's not worth it. And so I suppose there's an element then of 
the whole person going to work. Mm. And when we grew up, Coopers and Liber and Deloitte and Touche, whatever they were back in those days, you were two different people, I think, or you were led to believe that you were professional within the workplace and then come five o'clock, you could have your personal life. Mm. Whereas I don't think the boundaries are that distinct. No. So and can I, we be a whole person at work? I think that's what we're all striving for now. Well, I think as leaders, that's what we should be striving for, is to create the workplace so that the people who come and work with us can bring their whole selves. And I mm. look at that particularly as a woman, and the same as you, there was an expectation that you checked your emotions at the door. But emotions are an important part of decision making. We actually can't leave them out of the equation. And what I always found really interesting and very challenging was that the ways as a woman I might express my emotions were not considered acceptable. But the way a man might express his emotions, particularly maybe around frustration and anger, were completely accepted within that corporate environment. I think they were the norm. They were the norm. And I believe most women who've done well in corporate life have really been able to lean on their more masculine traits mm -hmm. and who've also had to leverage those because you had to find a way to fit in. You had to fit in to some degree within that stereotype, you know, which is a bit of a John Draper from Mad Men kind of stereotype. <laughs> But at least it's not Donald Trump. <laughs> God, yes, at least not. But, but as women or as people of colour or as gay people, there's a whole part of your life that you had to cover up at work. Now, clearly I was a woman at work, but I, in terms of covering up some of your emotional responses to things or in terms of covering up your your interests outside work or your family life. I hid my pregnancy, for my first pregnancy, I hid the fact that I was pregnant until uh, I was halfway through. Wow. So- Because you felt it- Because it I felt it would better. be judged in certain, now obviously that was one that was going to have to come out. But, but, <laughs> literally. literally. <laughs> Uh, but there was a particular transaction on the cards at the time <laughs> that I yeah. didn't want to be written off as she's about to go on maternity leave. So we don't really care about what she thinks. Now, wow. my, that daughter is now 19 years old. So this is not yesterday. But there are still horror stories around about these kind of things. I think we've made huge strides. But I also think this whole piece about what the ideal corporate worker looks like has not shifted anywhere near enough mm. um, and and we've still got a lot more work to do because I do think really at this time more than ever actually we're seeing mm. the benefits of having leaders and it, they, this is not about all women leaders are better than all male leaders this is about whether you're a man or a woman which kinds of traits are you bringing to the workplace? And mm. we're seeing that you do, you do need to be uh, strong and have certainty about who you are 
And part of that is actually really being compassionate and empathetic to other people. And this, mm. this balancing of strength with empathy. Mm. And I heard actually our former prime minister the other day say she believes the reason a lot of women do that well is because they have had to do that well through their whole careers. Uh, whereas men, you know, that wasn't so required of them because that wasn't mm. the norm, that the masculine norm they were trying to live up to in corporate life. So mm. for them, I mean, and there's lots of fabulous men who do use, you know, both mm. traits. But mm. for a lot of men, they're only now discovering that it's okay to be empathetic with your team at work. And they've been doing that outside of work with um, their families or their football teams. There's lots, lots of research showing that this is much more transformational in terms of what you can deliver as a team and as an organization if you are willing to be vulnerable, share more, collaborate more, because you're building trust by sharing a piece of yourself. So I feel like we're moving in the right direction, but it, it's much too slow for my liking uh, in terms of seeing, you know, more women at the top who actually can start uh, not just opening the doors because the few women, as long as we've only got token women, mm. there's very little they can it's do. It's not the norm. They, there's very mm. little they can do. They, it's very hard mm. to get your voice heard when you're the only woman. Mm. So if you get to a critical mass, that changes mm. things and, and having greater diversity in mm -hmm. our leadership teams and greater inclusivity around um, all kinds of diversity, you know, whether it's gender, mm. ethnicity, sexuality, mm -hmm. uh, cognitive diversity, all of those things just enables us to have so many more perspectives mm -hmm. over whatever it is that we're doing mm. as an organization. But that can mm. only be beneficial. Completely. And you talk about relying on strengths and a strengths-based approach. And is there a difference, Sue, between your strengths-based approach and inner strength? I think there's a difference, but I think the one helps the other. When I talk about a strengths-based approach, when I think about that in terms of, you know, the work I do, it's about helping people understand what their strengths are. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is way beyond technical skills and expertise. This is about who you are as a person, how, how you naturally play things and what you bring to any situation. Because there's a lot of research, you know, out of Gallup that shows that mm -hmm. if you are using your strengths, you feel happier, more fulfilled, and you are more effective. So there's an element of if you've got all that happening for you, that also helps build your inner strength. Your inner strength or a sense of resilience which we all need more than ever right now, is about balancing strength and flexibility. So I know when I've written about this before, I've used you know, a picture of palm trees. So something that won't break in the high winds, but mm -hmm. will bend and move with the tie, you know, with what's happening, and then straighten up again. And is tall. And is tall. Uh, and holds their head high. So, yeah. and in terms of building that kind of resilience, I think there are lots of things you can do to build your inner strength. And I think one of the ones that often we forget is actually compassion for ourselves. A lot of people I know, especially high achievers, 
they're often quite perfectionistic as well. And so if something doesn't go their way or that they have done something wrong, they beat themselves up about it. And sometimes we just need to be gentler on ourselves and understand that everybody has bad days. Everyone struggles sometimes. And this too shall pass. And there's a lot of great resources online about how you can build that self-compassion. And actually allowing yourself time for rest and recovery and not pushing yourself to the point where you fall over. Mm-hmm. I think you can only build that inner resilience if you do actually accept that we do all need rest and recovery, not just the annual long holiday, but actually building that into everyday life and celebrating small wins. So how often do we set, we set ourselves some amazing project milestone or, you know, reaching the end of a project and then we'll celebrate. It's always, and then we'll do this. But of course, you know, what we need to be doing is celebrating the smaller achievements, the wins along the way. Because those things, mm. those things help us to keep mm. going and ask for help when you need mm. it. Again, a lot mm. of high achievers in finance, very reluctant to ask for help. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then gratitude is a great practice to help you really tap yeah. into tap into what does make you happy. So even if that's not happening for you right now, you've, you've built that little bit of resilience. You've built something that connects to that happiness and joy inside you. Mm-hmm. And you can know that you will have that again. Yeah, I have a daily gratitude practice. I, I wouldn't say I do it absolutely mm. every day. But it was one of the big changers in my life was, was just taking that time and reflecting and being grateful. And it shifts your mood. Absolutely. And it, it sounds so small and so simple that you don't really realize until you do it. I think there's actually research that's shown it's not necessary to do it or journal it every day. But if you set yourself an initial target to get yourself into that new way of thinking, yeah. for, yeah. of doing it for a couple of weeks, you know, every evening, three things I'm grateful for today or every morning, starting your day that mm-hmm. way is a great way. Mm-hmm. And then that shifts. So that it's something, even if you don't do it every day, you can come back to every few days or every couple of days. And <laughs> I found, particularly when we were going into lockdown, I found that actually was something that really could keep you grounded in, you know, when you, if you were starting to spiral into some anxiety, for me, I, you know, I was feeling a bit uncertain and a bit anxious what's happening with the world, with my business, with my family. Mm-hmm. A simple gratitude practice. Yeah, some of my clients look at me like I'm a bit kooky when I suggest it. Yeah. But almost <laughs> all of them, if they try it, go, actually, that has really helped. Mm. And, and I think you've answered a, a work-life balance question by putting all of that together, the bringing yourself to work, your whole self understanding your your inner strength as well as your strengths and having some daily practices that that help keep you grounded if you can find those then you'll find your own work-life balance yeah absolutely because work-life balance doesn't have to look the same for from one person to the next and I think it's really important as well that we accept that there are stages in our lives when when it shifts, when more or less is required from us. So what is important to us at any given time might, might change. 
But if you have practices you can go back to or little rituals for marking the end of your day, especially at the moment, when we, if we're working from home, marking the end of your day in some way helps you shift. Otherwise, a lot of people I'm talking to are basically working 24-7 because the home has become the workplace. Mm, mm, so I think, mm, mm. you know, getting in touch with the things that light you up, that bring you joy. And then also if it's going out running or making sure you have all of those different elements, looking after your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health, um, then your balance starts to become clear to you for what's mm. right for you. And you know, I always say it's not like a scales where it has to exactly match each other. It's about what's right right now and reviewing that periodically to say, oh, no, this has shifted way too much at the moment. I need to make sure I'm doing some of those practices to bring me back. Plus, we are always changing anyway. Yeah, of course. At every yeah. stage of our lives, you know, we need something different. Uh, Sue, so you work with finance people, mm, finance leaders. So how does someone connect with you? So I am um, very active on LinkedIn. So that's it's very mm -hmm. easy for people to find me on LinkedIn, um, Sue Rosen. And also I have www.suerosen.com.au. Uh, and I work predominantly with finance people. I do work with some others, but it really the finance background has meant that I, I love to connect with finance people who are looking to take themselves and their careers to that next stage in terms mm. of their effectiveness as leaders the and the joy and fulfillment they get from their roles and their lives as well and of course you you have first-hand experience and knowledge which makes a huge difference for people I think yeah I think I do think finance people can be a little skeptical sometimes about some of um the other modalities out there. So like you, the fact that I have spent so many years in the finance context, I understand their frame of reference. I understand the kinds of things they're going through. So that helps me understand their language and their context. And sometimes that means completely being able to challenge them on seeing something in a wholly different way but it can also mean that I can really empathize with them when they are seeing something in a particular way. Great. Well, Sue, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today and learning so much about you. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Susan. It's been fantastic to connect and actually talk to each other. It's been fabulous. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.